सो हेयर इज द लास्ट गर्ल बाइना दिया मुराद पार्ट थ्री चैप्टर टू आई होप यू आर गोइंग टू लाइक इट सो लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड चैप्टर टू आई वोक अप एट फाइव ए एम बिफोर एनी वन एल्स एंड माई फर्स्ट थाट वॉज दैट आई हैड टू गेट आउट ऑफ देयर इट इज़ नॉट सेफ हेयर आई टोल्ड माई सेल्फ वट आर दे गोइंग टू डू विथ मी वट आर द चांसेज दैट दे आर गुड इनफ पीपल टू टेक द रिस्क टू हेल्प मी but it was morning and the hot sun was already lighting up the streets where there was not even shade to hide me if i tried to leave i had now here as to go lying in bed i realized that my fate was in the hands of hisham and his family and all i could do was pray that they really meant to help me nasir arrived 2 hours later with instructions from hisham while we talked and waited for his father to join us maha served us breakfast i could not eat but i drank a little coffee we will take you to stay with my sister meena and her husband bashir he told me they live a little bit outside the city and there is less of a chance of daesh being there and seeing you we know that bashir does not like daesh nasir said but we are not sure about his brothers he says they have not joined but you never know so you will have to be careful bashir is a good guy though with my niqab covering my face i felt safe in the car with hisham and nasir the neighborhood began to thin out as we drove to meena and bashir's house on the outskirts of mosul no one looked at us as we walked from the car to the front door and i did not see any neighboring houses flying islamic state flags or that had been spray painted with islamic state graffiti The couple met us in the entranceway to the house which was larger and nicer than Hisham's and reminded me of the houses my married brothers had been building slowly in Kocho with their life savings it was concrete and built to last with tile floors covered with green and big carpets and couches with thick cushions in the living room Mina was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. She had a pale round face and bright green eyes like jewels and she was shaped like dimal not too thin. Her long hair was dyed a rich brown. She and Bashir had five children, three boys and two daughters. And when I arrived the whole family greeted me calmly as though Hisham and Nasir had already answered all the questions they had about me. No one tried to comfort me other than Nasir who seemed curious to know all the details of what had happened to me the family treated me like i was a duty to fulfill and i was grateful for that i was not sure yet that i could return their affection if they offered it salam alaikum i said to them alaikum assalam nasir replied don't worry we will help you The plan was to get a fake ID made for me either in Safa's name or in Meena's whichever turned out to be easier and then for one of the men either Basir or Nasir to accompany me from Mosul to Kirkuk pretending that we were husband and wife Nasir had friends in Mosul who made IDs once the standard Iraqi state ID and now the black and white Islamic state one who would help us We will get you an Iraqi ID, not a Daesh one, he told me. It will seem more authentic and it will make it easier for you to get into Kurdistan if we get through the Daesh checkpoints. If we use Safa's information, then you will go with Nasir, Bashir said. If we use Mina's information, you will go with me. 
Meena sat with us listening but not saying anything. Her green eyes flashed in my direction when her husband said this. It was clear that she was not happy, but she did not say anything. Will Kirkuk be a good place to leave you? Bashir asked. He thought it might be the easiest entrance into Kurdistan beyond Mosul. If so, they would tell the ID maker to list my birthplace as Kirkuk and to give me a name common in that common in that city. Is Kirkuk with ISIS? I did not know. Growing up, I had always assumed that Kirkuk was a part of Kurdistan because that's what the Kurdish parties said. But I I had gathered from conversation I had overheard between Islamic State militants that the reason was disputed like Sinjar and that it was now coveted not only by the Kurds and the Baghdad government but only but also by ISIS. The militants had taken over so much of Iraq I would have believed that they controlled Kirkuk and all of its oil fields by now. I can ask my family if it is controlled by the Peshmerga then I can go there. Fine, Bashir was satisfied. I will call Hisam's friend in Sinjar to see if he can help you and Nasir will get you your ID. That day I spoke to Hajni for the first time since escaping. For most of the conversation we both managed to stay calm. There was a lot of work to be done if I was going to make it home alive. But when I first heard his voice I was so happy I could barely speak. Nadia he said Don't worry I think this family is good they will help you Hajni sounded like he always had confident and emotional at the same time in spite of what I was going through I felt sad for him I supposed I might soon find out what it was like to be one of the saved Yazidis and all the grief and longing that went along with it if I was lucky I wanted to tell him how I would escaped I felt proud of how brave I had been. It was so strange, Hajni, I said. After all that, everyone keeping such a close eye on me. This man left the door unlocked. I just opened the door and climbed over the wall and left. Is it is what God wanted, Nadia, he said. He wants you to leave and to come home. I am worried that one of the sons here is with Daesh, I told Hajni. They are very religious. But Hajni told me that I had no choice. You have to trust this family, he said. I told him that if he thought they were good, then I would stay with them. Later, I would learn about the smuggling networks that had been established to help Yazidi girls escape from ISIS. In part because from his container home in the refugee camp, Hajni would help to arrange the escapes of dozens of girls. Each operation began in panic and chaos, but after the family of the victim managed to get enough money together, it would begin to unfold like a business deal, employing a system of smugglers. There are middlemen also, mostly Arab, Turkmen, and Syrian and Iraqi Kurdish locals, who are paid a few thousand dollars for their part in the scheme. Some are taxi drivers who smuggle the girls in their cars. Others serve as spies in Mosul or Tel Afar, letting families know where the girls are hiding. Others help at checkpoints or bribe and bargain with the Islamic State authorities. A few of the key players inside the Islamic State terrorists are women. They can more easily approach a sabaya without casing alarm. At the head of the networks are a few Yazidi men. 
who using their connections in the sunni villages set up the networks and make sure it all goes according to plan each team works in its own zone some in syria and some in iraq as in any business competition has developed among them since it has become clear that smuggling sabaya is a good way to make money during war time when the plan for my own escape was being made the smuggling network was just starting to develop and hajni was figuring out how he would he could participate my brother is brave and good and he would not let anyone suffer if he could help it but so many girls had his phone number all his female relatives had memorized it and passed it to sabaya they met along the way that he was quickly overwhelmed by phone calls by the time hisham called him on my behalf he had already reached out to others for help and had been connected to krg official working on freeing yazidis as well as to local point people in mosul and elsewhere in isis held iraq quickly smuggling became his full time and unpaid job not knowing exactly what to expect when i was getting ready for my trip to kirkuk hajni was worried he was not sure that having one of the brothers nashir or bashir come with me all the way into kurdistan would work it was not easy for a sunni man of fighting age to cross a kurdish checkpoint and hajni knew that if isis found out that a family in mosul had helped a sabaya escape the punishment would be severe we don't want him to be captured because he tried to help you hajni told me it is our responsibility to make sure nothing happens to nasir or bashir when they come with you to kurdistan okay nadia i understand hajni i told him i will be careful i promise i knew that if we were caught at an islamic state checkpoint whoever was with me would be killed and i would be returned to slavery at a kurdish checkpoint the danger was that nasir or bashir would be placed into detention take care of yourself nadia hajni told me Hajni told me, try not to worry about anything. Tomorrow they will get you an ID. When you get to Kirkuk, call me, okay? Before we hung up, I asked him, what happened to Catherine? I don't know, Nadia, he said. What about in Solag? I asked. ISIS is still in Kochu and Solag, he said. We know that the men have been killed. Said survived and he told me what it was like. Saud made it here and he is doing all right. We don't know yet what happened to the women in Solag, but Said is determined to go fight Daesh to liberate it and I am worried about him. Said was in terrible pain because of his bullet wounds and he had nightmares about the firing squad every night which prevented him from sleeping. I am worried that he cannot cope with what happened, Hajni said. We said goodbye and Hajni passed the phone to Khalid my half brother he had more information for me Yazidis are not on the run anymore he told me they live in extremely difficult conditions in Kurdistan waiting for the camps to open what happened to the man in Kochu i asked even though i had already been told i did not want it to be true all the men were killed he said all the women were taken have you seen any of the women I saw Nasreen, Rosen and Catherine. I told him, I don't know where they are now. The news was worse than I expected. Even what I already knew was difficult to hear. We hung up and I handed the phone back to Nasir. I no longer worried that the family was going to betray me. And so I let myself relax a little bit 
I felt more tired than I ever had in my whole life. <clears throat> I stayed at Meena and Bashir's house for several days while the escape plan was worked out and most of the time I kept to myself thinking about my family and what was going to happen to me. If no one asked me any question, I was happy to stay quiet. They were a very religious family, praying five times a day, but they said they hated ISIS and they never asked me about my forced conversion or tried to get me to pray with them. I was still very sick and my stomach felt like it was on fire. So one day, they took me to the local women's hospital. They had to convince me that it was safe to go. Just put a hot water bottle on my stomach, I told Nasir's mother. That's enough. But she insisted that I see a doctor. As long as you wear your niqab and stay with us, you will be fine. She assured me and I was in so much pain that I could not argue for long. My head was spinning and I barely noticed when they took me to their car and drove me into town. I was so sick that now, looking back, the hospital visit seems like a dream that I struggle to remember. But after that, I got better and stronger and I waited quietly indoors for the day I would be told it was time to leave. Sometimes I waited, I ate with them and sometimes I ate alone. They argued me to be careful to stay away from the windows and ignore the telephone. If anyone comes to the door, stay in your room and don't make a noise, they told me. Mosul was not like censor. In Kocho, when a visitor comes, they would they don't bother knocking. Everyone knows everyone else and we were all welcome in one another's house. In Mosul, a visitor waits to be invited inside and even a friend is treated like a stranger. Under no circumstance was I, I to go outside. Their main bathroom was in an outhouse but I was instructed to use the smaller one inside instead. We don't know if any of our neighbors are with Daesh, they said. I did what they told me to do. The last thing I wanted was to be discovered and returned to ISIS and for Hisham and his family to be punished for trying to help me. I had no doubt that they would execute every one of the adults and just the thought of Mina's two young daughters, both close to eight years old and beautiful like their mother, being taken into Islamic State custody made me sick to my stomach. I slept in the daughter's room. We barely spoke. They were not scared of me, they just were not interested in knowing who I was and I had no intention of telling them. They were so innocent. On the second day, I woke up to see them sitting in front of their bedroom mirror trying to wrestle tangles out of their hair. Can I help? I asked. I am very good at doing hair. They nodded and I sat behind them running a comb through their long hair until it was soft and straight. It was something I used to do for Adki and Catherine every day and doing it I felt almost normal. The television was kept on all day so that the kids could play with their playstation and because the boys were so distracted by their video games they noticed me even less than the girls. They were around the same age as Malik and Hani, my two nephews who were kidnapped and forced to be become ISIS fighters. Before August 2014, Malik had been a shy boy, but smart and interested in the world around him. He loved us and his mother Hamdiya. Now I had no idea where he was. 
ISIS had instituted an intense system of re-education and brainwashing for the teenagers they kidnapped. While the boys were taught Arabic and English, they learned words of war like gun, and they were told that Yazidism was a religion of the devil and that their family members who would not convert would be better off dead. They were taken at an impressionable age and as I had eventually learned the lessons worked on some of them. Later Malik would send photos to Hajni in the refugee camp. They showed him in Islamic State fatigues, smiling and carrying a rifle, his cheeks red with excitement. He would call Hajni's phone just to tell Hamdiya that she should come join him. Your father is dead, Hamdiya would tell her son. There is no one left to take care of the family. You have to come home. You should come to the Islamic State, Malik would reply. You will be taken care of here. Hani managed to escape after nearly three years in captivity, but when Hajni tried to arrange Malik's rescue, my nephew refused to go with the smuggler who approached him in a marketplace in Syria. I want to fight, he told him. He was a shadow of the boy he had been in Gocho, and after that Hajni stopped trying, but Hamdiya would always pick up the phone if she saw it was Malik calling. He is still my son, she would say. Mina was a good housewife and mother. She spent her days cleaning and cooking for her family, playing with the kids and nursing the baby. The days were tense for her as well as for me, and we did not talk very much. Soon enough, either her brother or her husband was going to make the changes trip with me to Kurdistan. It was a lot for one family to go through. Once, passing each other in the hall, she commented on my hair. Why is it red only at the ends? She asked. I dyed it with Hina a long time ago, I said, examining the strands. It is pretty, she said and moved past me, saying nothing else. One afternoon after lunch, Mina struggled to quiet the baby who needed to eat and would not stop crying. Normally, she would not let me help with the housework, but that afternoon, when I offered to do the dishes, she nodded grateful. The sink was in front of a window that overlooked the street where someone might see me, but she was too distracted by her baby to think about whether we would be caught, and I was happy to have a chance to help her. To my surprise, she started to ask me questions. Do you know other people with Daesh? She asked cradling the baby against her chest. Yes, I said, they took all my friends and my family and they separated us. I wanted to ask her the same question, but I did not want to offend her. She paused, thinking, after you leave Mosul, where will you go? To my brother, I said, he is waiting to go to refugee camp with other Yazidis. What is the camp like? She asked. I don't know, I said, almost everyone who survived will go there. My brother Hajni says it will be hard, there will be nothing to do, no work and it is far from cities, but at least they will be safe. I wonder what will happen here, she said. It was not really a question, so I did not say anything. I continued washing the dishes and she was quiet until I was finished. By then, the baby had stopped crying and was fallen asleep in Mina's arms. I went back upstairs to the daughter's room and lay down on a mattress, but I did not close my eyes. Thank you for joining me. I hope you like it.